go in and alter the Merlin wiki? Like, we should just do that. Like, because <laughs> someone needs to do it at this point. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome back to Merlisten, a bi-weekly podcast about BBC's Merlin where we talk about the show, the ships, the fandom and the characters. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And today we have another episode review for you and we're in season two already. I honestly just don't know where the time has gone and I'm really excited to talk about season two because it's kind of my weird nostalgia season that I have a lot of feelings about even though not all of it is great but there's something about it that I always am very excited to like get back to so we're starting with episode one the curse of Cornelius Segan so we hope you'll enjoy our thoughts on that and before we get into any of that we'll quickly hear some news Merlin Reverse has changed their schedule to accommodate for the late reveal of artist-author pairs. You can find their new schedule in the Merlin Reverse Life Journal. After Kumlan Big Bang has announced that it will run again this year. Further information regarding schedule and other things is yet to emerge. The Kink Meme is considering starting a philathon. The idea is to set up a challenge where those who fill the most prompts receive prizes created by other fans. They are currently gathering opinions and ideas for this suggestion, so please check out Kings of Camelot on Tumblr to join the conversation. And finally, there's a new challenge on the horizon. Lao Pendragon and Elviatas have combined to bring you Merlin Spring Cleaning. The challenge is aimed at fan artists and will run similarly to Finish That Fig Merlin. That means that fan artists who have unfinished works in progress in their drafts should get those out and finish them. Regardless of whether you're creating art, edits, GIFs or potfigs, this challenge is for you. The challenge will run through all of April. You participate by posting your work and tagging it with Merlin Spring Cleaning. Unlike Finish That Fig Merlin, there will be no prizes except for the satisfaction to have finished a thing. And that has been it. For news. Where's my back to rocks? <laughs> oh my god. I don't I've said this maybe twice or three times. I expect it every time. <laughs> Alright. I'm very disappointed, Momo. I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. It's fine. Um so moving on, we have some talkbacks for you guys as usual. And the first one we have is I mean, I would assume it's pronounced Irene, yeah, but I'm not entirely sure. It's spelled E-I-R-E-N-E, so mm. we are assuming it's pronounced Irene. If this is not the case, please let us know so that next time we can pronounce your name correctly. Yes, and they left a comment on our Mordred character episode. And this is what they had to say. They said, part of me wanted Merlin to be the one injured in the desire because then Arthur would have definitely accepted magic. And I've never even thought of this. And I'm just like, the BBC are cowards. And this is what should have happened. <laughs> because I, it would have fulfilled every hurt, comfort, protective, like Arthur thing that I love. And it would just like everything I love reading about and fic would have happened in canon. And we needed this. I wonder if there is a fic. 
in which Arthur legalized magic and ordered his save Merlin. Oh my god. If there is, guys, please like slide into my DMs and, <laughs> and to give me those records because I need to read them. I just want all the fics in which Arthur like like basically, you know, sacrifices the world for Merlin because there's not enough of those. Like Merlin sacrifices a lot for Arthur. I like reading about the opposite too, so there you go. But yes, write it. <laughs> yeah. Irene had another comment on episode 15 in which we talked about remedy to cure all ills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that we still are having to discuss this episode through talkbacks is so annoying. <laughs> and this is what they said. My main thing with this episode is this is the first of Merlin's real kills. Like, with Mary, it was with the chandelier and not a freaking axe through the face. I wish Merlin had a bit more of a reaction to killing someone in such a gruesome way. Like, yikes. And here's what I wrote down in my notes. is I was going to argue that he made Sophia and Ulfric explode, but that was indeed later. <laughs> I forgot that this episode happened later than Remedy to Cure yeah. Oils. Probably because Remedy sort of feels like it goes on forever. <laughs> Maybe that's why <laughs> I think it's, it's later. timeless. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Irene is right that apart from Mary Collins, who was probably more of an intuitive accident, uh, killing Edwin was a very deliberate kill on Merlin's part. For sure. And... I find it strange, like, whenever we bring up this concept of killing, how the show does have a bit of a blasé relationship with death. Oh, yeah. Like, like I completely appreciate that in the Middle Ages, or whenever you want to say this takes place, people legitimately did have a different relationship with death. Like, that's the reason why there were public executions. Like, we are very much, like, uh, we coddle ourselves these days, like, with the idea of death and like we hide it rather than just kind of accept it for what it is like that's how we are these days that's not how people were hundreds of years ago because people were dying a lot more than they are now but that's not i think what they were going for here <laughs> and it's a bit strange no, especially like, because it's a kids show yeah exactly you and know i think yeah that kind of fantasy de- and like i think we we often do forget when we talk about merlin uh, on this show i think that yeah especially in season one like it is a family show so both grown-ups and kids need to be able to sit down together and watch it so they're not interested in dealing with the ptsd that a human being would experience when murdering someone for the first time and i and i get like fantasy killing happens like in every movie like you know it happens in disney movies like people don't care but i think when we sit down to do Merlis and we kind of like love all of our like Merlin Meta and me especially I'm like I just want to see him suffer for his decisions <laughs> it's like <laughs> didn't we discuss how it would have been so cool to see him like waking up from nightmares like about like because he'd like killed someone yeah and he it. It could have, yeah it could have been something as you know as small as that Merlin just waking up from having a nightmare uh you know with just the last glimpse of a of a recycled scene because you know you can't just recycle the scene put a bit of a of a shimmer on it or blur the edges and everyone knows it's a dream and then merlin wakes up with a with a gasp or sweaty or whatever and that would have that would have shown that he actually you know 
has to deal with the fact that he's killing people. Exactly. It's um yeah, it's it's one of those things that I wish that we we got more of, but um you know, that's just not the story they were interested in telling and that's okay. But it is a little unrealistic that such an innocent character yeah, just kills. And he's not killing for Arthur here, but I guess you could say he's killing for Gaius, so maybe that's kind of his like in that moment he was thinking like saving Gaius's life and Ed- Edwin was just collateral damage in that in that kind of instance so maybe that's how we can explain that one away but i appreciate the them pointing this out that yeah this is Merlin's first kill and it's in such a forgettable episode <laughs> it's so annoying oh, but yeah thank you thank you for pointing that out i do love me some merlin meta yeah then Aspen left us a list of recommendations on our Lancelot character analysis episode. And all these figrecs are Merthyr stories with good Lancelot portrayal. And we will include a link to their comment in the show notes so that you can check out all these recs for yourselves. And finally, July Lily had also a figreg for our episode canon fix but they provided a bit more of explanation why they recommended this so I'll just quickly read this out I don't agree with rocks about the length of canon compliant fix these kind of fix can be long ones not just slices of life or missing scenes for example the other side of the coin by Amy underscore Lupin is 129,604 words long it follows all the main plots of the show from the Labyrinth of Gadreth to the final episode, but its main interest is how Arthur evolved from being a selfish person in his love life to a considerate lover thanks to Merlin and Gwen. There is plenty Arwen and Merthyr as Arthur goes from his wife's bed to his lover's arms. Alright, and that's been it for Talkbacks. Uh, so guys, if you would like to leave us some lovely feedback which we always always enjoy reading you can do so in the following ways so as usual if you want to be featured on the episode like you just heard and have us react to your comments you need to go over to our website and leave your comment there and the website is merlison.paracaproductions.com or you can google merlison it will be the first option that comes up and we will react to your comment if you leave it on there if you're not bothered about whether or not we react to your comment or you just outright don't want us to react to your comment then you can leave your feedback in all these other places and we'll just respond to you directly through those channels so we're on tumblr which is merlisten and you can reblog our post and put comments in the tags or the body or send us an ask or a direct message all those lovely things we are at merlisten on twitter so if you want to retweet us or direct message or tweet at us then you can do so on that channel you can email us at melissa.podcast at gmail.com and we'll respond to your email. We've had a couple of those already and they're always such a treat. Or we're on iTunes, which is awesome. And you can leave us a review and a rating on there. And another fun way that you can talk to us about the podcast is on Discord. The invite link will be on our Tumblr and we have a lot of channels on there and dedicated channels to episode reactions. And once new episodes go live, there's usually like a fun discussion in there. So if you want to get involved and chat to us, then do it that way. So there you go. Yeah. You can also, if you 
uh, leave your comment on the website and don't want us to react to it or aren't too fussed about whether or not we react to it, you can also make a note of that in the comment. Yeah, so absolutely. Definitely, you don't have to go to another place if you'd rather comment on the website, but if you don't want us to react to it or don't care whether we react to it, just put that in the comment as well and then we'll act accordingly. Indeed. So uh, let's get into the kind of meat of the episode, which is talking about the curse of Cornelius Segan. And as usual, we will uh, read you the summary from the Merlin Wiki just to refresh your memory. <laughs> if you have, why are you laughing? Because I haven't read this yet. Is it really like not what the episode is about as usual? No, I'm I'm just I'm just always when it's Merlin Wiki episode summaries, they're always so doom and gloom. I just okay, I love them. Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> A new servant named Cedric tries to get Merlin's job as Arthur's manservant, claiming that he only desires to work in the royal household and to please Arthur. Merlin discovers that Cedric's real motive is to obtain a jewel from a newly discovered temple in the vaults under the castle, said to be owned by Cornelius Segan, who once vowed he will return to Camelot to destroy it. Well, that's just wrong, because <laughs> Merlin... Merlin doesn't discover that Cedric's real motive is to obtain the jewel from the from the temple. He only puts two and two together after Cedric's already done it that he has done it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Alright, I quickly I quickly have some statistics for you guys and then we're gonna uh get off the ground properly. So this episode aired for the first time on the nineteenth of September two thousand and nine. There are two female characters they are Morgana and Gwen, as per usual. They barely have lines. They barely qualified for this episode. And there were seven whole male characters who got lines, as per usual. It's Arthur, Merlin, Gaius, and Uther. And then they also get Cedric, this one worker in the in the caves. And then Cornelius Segan. Although you can probably debate that since they are, you know, Segan possesses Cedric... You might count them as one, but they are actually different characters. So I would count them as there different. Are, there's another one. There's another one? Yeah, uh, I think his name is Sir oh, something one of the or knights. other. He's the one that, yeah, who's like, uh, like actually has, like he's like the four, like the front man. Like he actually has lines. He actually speaks to Uther. He's like, if you go out there, we'll, we'll all die. So he actually oh, has lines right. as well. Yeah. So yay. <laughs> The enemy or monster of the week is Cornelius Segan. And Merlin kills one person. Uh, Cornelius Se he kills Cornelius Segan. Although, no, actually, he doesn't kill him. He just traps his soul back in the heart jewel. So he doesn't technically kill him. He just defeats him. All right, let's say Merlin defeats one evil sorcerer. Yeah, and Segan kills uh, Cedric, I would argue, by possessing his... Yeah. Soul and then yeah, basically. Probably. Although I have had cannons about this now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, we have some overall impressions. Uh, yes. Momo, would you like to go first? Um, yes, sure. Loving, loving Mackenzie Crook is for me the only redeeming quality of this episode. I do not like it. Arthur is a dick. <laughs> and Mackenzie Crook's appearance is the only redeeming quality for this episode and maybe that Arthur is pretty and shirtless yes. 
and <laughs> nothing else about this episode <laughs> is great. <laughs> nothing else. It's, it's so interesting. I think this might be one of the first times that we're going to have very different like opinions on on an episode because I genuinely like sit down to watch this episode once in a while. I just think it's such a fun like it's a very funny episode like regardless of you know Arthur being horrible which I by the way completely agree like and you know he's not immune to my criticism (laughs) but there's something about this episode that feels so like watchable to me it's really well paced like there's a lot of humor um it's like and kind of going forward as we get into the scene by scene I think what will be really interesting is to kind of break down what this episode actually does as a season opener because we have had the pilot of course which is a completely different ball game altogether and this is the first episode we're reviewing where we have a season opener and how are these characters being reintroduced to us after a nine month break having not seen them for that amount of time and you know how are the audience being reminded of who they are what their dynamics are and how you know what things are being reset what things are actually kind of being continued on from the end of season one because we have both going on here and we'll get to that (laughs) but I actually think that it works pretty nicely as a season opener for me especially for season two when there wasn't really any canon time jump happening like we just kind of I think assume that time has passed and I guess in retrospect we can say probably a year has well, maybe not a year. Yeah, I don't that's, know. Like, that's the know. thing. I was actually listening for it because, um, I don't know, someone I think said that there's a year between season one and two, but you have absolutely no evidence for that. If anything, uh, the evidence we have would point towards almost no time has passed or they, Just have, like traveled, months, yeah. or they have traveled back in time, depending on, mm. on what you're looking at. But like... I wouldn't say that a lot of time has passed between between no, two seasons. Like, I mean, no. I, it can go either way. Probably you can, like, depending on what your headcanon is or what fic you want to write. It's you know, it's whatever. You can you can pick how much time has passed, but there is there is no saying that more than the nine months that you know that passed because of the of the gap between the end of season one and season two, like when they started airing i mean um not more than nine months have passed if anything less i think you can make an argument that maybe a year has passed since the pilot yes i think that is very so i would say that that is that is fair and then you just have to determine for yourself how much time passed during the season and then whatever is left would Mm -hmm. have passed between the seasons but i think that's probably not a bad estimate to say that between the pilot and this season opener one year has passed i think that's that's something you could possibly say yes indeed if you wanted to <laughs> um but yeah i think that overall it's for me it's just i just see it as a really entertaining episode there is some juicy meta that i can still go into and stuff but i just i just like to put it on just to laugh and i really enjoy listening to the commentary for this one because uh, it's bradley and colin and that that's just always entertaining for me so i also have a bit of a soft spot because like i love listening to them talk about it and stuff and uh yeah i think that it's really really cool and interesting to see 
where these guys are having left them off in La Morte d'Arthur and bearing in mind that the audience will have been slightly familiar with them at this point but still they're getting these new viewers and there's all these considerations when you actually start dissecting these early season two episodes and that's very exciting for me so I'm really really looking forward to kind of getting into it especially yeah like looking at the uh looking at the Martha dynamic here it's it's very fascinating to me where they were taking this because some of it I like, some of it I don't like. So, yeah, shall we dive right in? Sure. Hey, now, you guys might have noticed that myself and Momo do this thing now where we have, like, Friends-inspired uh, scene titles going on. But because I've kind of, like, not been very good with, um, you know, organization <laughs> with this one. <laughs> I forgot to send her the like to pre-approve the title, so we might have different ones. So you guys will get two sets of Friends-related uh, scene titles. So you're basically getting double the content. It's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first one I have named, which you know, with the caves and stuff, is the one with the discount Indiana Jones. Oh my god, that's much better than what I have. I mean, I have Bradley and Colin to thank for that because they're like, this reminds me a bit of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm like, yes! <laughs> it really is like Raiders. That is exactly what they were going for here. Cheats. <laughs> um, and I've kind of included the bit with Merlin running into Arthur's chambers with it, like just all of the mining and stuff, because this is like this is what I'm saying about that little music cue and i think i actually may have been wrong when i talked about the do 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 music cue um at the uh, in our season 1 recap i think it might have been in season 1 but we see it a lot more in season 2 and we hear it as merlin runs in which he apparently now lives in the antechamber but never yes! but never again this is, this is so that that's i for me that was the the second scene because the setting changed um, okay, fair. Enough. I I I just called it the one with Arthur in bed, uh, <laughs> and I just I'm confused because is it still supposed to be night or is it supposed to be morning? Like the light could suggest daybreak. The the light that's coming in through the windows could suggest daybreak, or it's just you know a very bright moon. I assumed it was like the middle of the night, and he's trying to. But get then Merlin Merlin is fully dressed <laughs> and close by this makes so no is Gwen, sense you know she's also fully dressed yeah but when for she... Gwen but for Gwen we sort of get the explanation kind of in something Morgana says later on where it suggests that Morgana has been having a lot of nightmares and that's probably why Gwen yeah, stayed true. close to be on hand it makes no sense this is why I'm saying it could be early morning so that Merlin has been tinkering around in the antechamber already getting things ready for the day and then Arthur just wakes up much too early because of the noise because now it's actually filtering in into his subconscious and whatever yeah maybe but it's it's still very <laughs> ambiguous like I think everybody first watching this thought it was night and then what why is Merlin right outside it makes no sense I honestly think it was just kind of put that to like you know, so that he could be in the scene. But I think um, what I find really interesting about this scene, it, is this the first time that we get shirtless Arthur? I think it might be. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't shirtless in season, in one. season one. And he's shirtless apart from yeah. apart from uh, 
the last one where he was shirtless because he was injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that this, doesn't count though. This is, and I feel really bad in a way because, like, Bradley, especially in the commentary, he like they just kind of like as soon as he gets out of the bed, he's like they just both start laughing and he's like, yeah, just count how many times like I'm topless in this episode. And like later <laughs> on, he's like, oh yeah, I really needed to be shirtless to put a key in that drawer, didn't I? <laughs> and it's like you know, I'm just a bit like, oh bless you, like they really were just milking it, weren't they? Like after I mean, season one. I, I mean, I would say say that narratively, like it doesn't make there, there's no reason. Hang on, hang on. There is no reason for Arthur to be uh, bare-chested to sleep. However, once they establish that Arthur sleeps without a shirt on now, for whatever reason, <laughs> it, do- it does make nar- sense, narratively speaking, that he would be shirtless while putting away the key because he does it just before getting into bed. Uh, Momo, only you could try to make narrative <laughs> sense to like make yourself feel better about the fact that Bradley was taken advantage of. <laughs> yes, that's what I. That's why I prefaced it with there was no actual reason for Arthur to be shirtless while sleeping because, as far as I remember, he wasn't shirtless while sleeping in season one, but now that he is sleeping shirtless it would make sense that he's shirtless by putting away the key because he does it right before going to bed god um <laughs> uh, kind of link because i because i like as i had like kind of linked uh, those two scenes together in my head because we had like mining and then in between the two mining bits we had the antechamber scene but uh i kind of as i was watching it obviously i knew that it was cornelia segan like like spirit in the tomb and i just like had a thought to myself because like okay he's he's like an okay villain like oh most powerful sorcerer ever like we'll get to that but again it's just kind of like merlin does these throwaway villains and i and i just like a bit more consistency personally so i was thinking to myself oh how cool would it have been if it had been like nimue's soul trapped in there you know like somehow she'd managed to like preserve like i don't know how that like it would have happened like i'm not saying that obviously she didn't put her soul there on purpose but what if like so, like it had been some like a villain that we knew that was a bit more like to tie it a bit more to previous seasons because yeah. this just seemed like a bit of a throwaway villain to me personally and it works it's like a monster of the week trope and at the end of the day cornelia segan um isn't really what this episode is about it's more about kind of like merlin's place in uh, in Camelot and uh, it's reintroducing us to all the characters and reintroducing where his relationship to Arthur is at this point but yeah it would have been nice to kind of tie the villain a bit more strongly to the rest of the show but um, right. so yeah they set up a booby trap and you know people running away screaming uh, yeah I, I paid extra attention but apparently none of these people can speak like the the people working in the mines none of them talk to each other not one of them the only sounds they start making is when they start shouting in fear and then running away none of them say anything to each other before that apparently the bbc didn't have money for at least one of them to have a line or two that's hilarious hilarious either that or they were french (laughs) they probably were french although not not the one of them one of them actually goes on like he's the one who discovered the cave uh or the temple or whatever you want the tomb he's the one who later talks to Mackenzie, and he's definitely not french oh my god i'm so happy 
that you cleared that up for me because I was literally like having my notes. Who the fuck is this guy that's giving Mackenzie all of this inside I information? Am, and I it's am... one of the miners. <laughs> yes, of course it's one I of the miners. I didn't realize it was him. I didn't connect the dots. And I just was like, who is this guy that knows all of these things? <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is happening? <laughs> so we have the... Uh, the intro titles, and we know that someone has died because we get the intro titles, so that's always the way it is. Someone dies, and then we have the title sequence. Um, and then what I have is I just have the one with all the booby traps, which is where the boys are walking around the tomb. And um, it's really interesting to me because in the commentary, they were talking about how when they first staged this, they were directed to act as if like there could literally be a booby trap anywhere in this room. Like That's kind of the point. So they all just end up... like just standing still because they were like didn't want to set up any booby traps and then it wasn't very interesting to film so in the end they were like trying to figure out a way for them to move so it looked like they were trying to avoid booby traps and then in the end they just told them to just forget it and hope the audience went with it so it was kind of funny um but i love the bit where Gaius sets off a booby trap and merlin saves his life and it's kind of so this is what i mean about like this is like a fun little throwback to the first episode when merlin used like the the slow motion or the quick motion magic to like you know save Gaius's life uh so it's kind of like a fun little throwback to that which uh which I appreciated and I like it when shows do that so that was quite cool it's, yeah it's so strange to me though because it always makes me think that Merlin must be or must have the senses of a vampire because the way this was shot or the the way it was it was shown is no way is it possible for Merlin to see what's happening, see the arrow already leaving the raven's beak, coming towards Gaius, activating a spell, getting that plate off the ground and up to the right height, in the split second it takes for that arrow to actually fly through the air. Like, it's not that far away. (laughs) I just... This does not... Like, what, what kind of reaction time, what kind of senses does Merlin have that he can act this fast? He must be a vampire. Well, I just assume that he's kind of like the Flash, where he was just kind of slowing down time. Like, right. that's... I mean, that's sort of what we saw in in the pilot. Like, not here necessarily, but in the pilot. He literally slows Gaius down as he's falling through the air. Right. So all he has to do is notice the arrow... And then he can take as much time as he wants to move things. It's just, I guess we see it in real time. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. (laughs) (laughs) This is, this is like me trying to explain why Bradley has to be sure. Yeah, but I have a bit more of a leg to stand on here than you do. (laughs) (laughs) Bradley shirtless. It was just for Momo's enjoyment. Also, uh, I, I titled this scene, the one with Gaius lying through his teeth with the first word he says this season. (laughs) Because Merlin asks, whose tomb do you think this is? And he says, not sure. And then he has this look where you just know, oh no, Gaius Gaius definitely knows whose tomb this is. He just doesn't want to say. He likes to keep his cards close to his chest for the time being. (laughs) You never know. Um, I also, like, I find this like a fun little Uther meta moment as well because i mean i know uther kind of you know is is kind of like a strong leader and he you know is quite authoritarian but he never really struck me as a greedy man so i'm very surprised that he kind of like uh um encouraged these people to like dig for for treasure under 
under Camelot. And also, I'm just surprised that it took him this long to think to do that. He's been king for a couple of decades at this point, if not a bit I more. I mean, maybe maybe Camelot really hit a financial crisis. Well, that's 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 fun, but we didn't hear about it. So. No. <laughs> You know, just just Uther being like, if I had more money, I could pay more soldiers. I'd be safer from other people. His feeding is paranoia. <laughs> I, I mean, when isn't he? <laughs> Uther's just kind of trolling around the place. Oh, how did he die? You know, um, clearly has a lot of interest in, in the people that work for him. He doesn't really care. Um, so I've titled the next scene, The One with All the Welsh. Because this, <laughs> oh my god, I can never like this is why I'm saying this episode is so humorous to me, and just such a change in tone from season one. This is what I'm saying. Like you never got scenes like this in season one, and Bradley and Colin also like like it made me it made it even funnier for me because like oh, he was really amping up the Welsh accent in this in this. So he's like, how big did you say it was? About that size. It's just like. So brilliant and like kind of Mackenzie. Uh, I keep calling him Mackenzie Cedric, but Mackenzie is obviously so good in this scene and um, kind of how he plays this guy. And honestly, one of my favorite comedic moments in Merlin ever is the bit where he's like, Oh, and watch out for that guy. And he's like, Oh, yeah, 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 the one with the beard. And like, pan, like, and you see the shot of the guy with the beard, and then it cuts back to Mackenzie, like, No, that one. Didn't. And it's this really weird guy that's just kind of eyeing them up, like, hmm. <laughs> and it's just, so, it's just so funny. And then just that guy going, I, I got my eye on him. Thank you. <laughs> I find this scene a bit funny, just in the sense that, like, well, Cedric, who did you think would have the key to Camelot's vaults? Like, who? I mean, it could have been the king, I guess. Um, but also. <laughs> just oh, Merlin I just love and hate this show in equal measure because the line only the prince but there's only one person allowed in his chambers his personal servant and I'm like really because I'm pretty sure people are in and out of there <laughs> as as often as they are out of the rising sun you know Morgana Gwen's in Arthur's chambers Gaius is in Arthur's chambers Uther is in Arthur's chambers so who isn't in Arthur's chambers at this point? Yeah. <laughs> so I really, I just honestly like, um, yeah. So the next scene title that I have written down here is the one with all the ass kissing part one, <laughs> because, <laughs> oh man, Cedric needs to wipe a bit of brown off that nose because it's really just becoming a problem for him at this point. Yes. It, this scene, like, makes me laugh so much just because, like. For, uh, for multiple reasons number one cedric just like creepily sitting on the wall watching Merlin and arthur like waiting for the right moment to come and like cause trouble but also how did he get access to the royal stables to mess with the mess with the saddle Thank you. i was i was about to say um when did this happen how did this happen? Did he do it in the courtyard? Why did nobody notice? Why does he have access to Arthur's horse? That's dangerous. That's that's literally what made... And, like, the way it was shot, it always... Like, at first watch, it always makes me think that we're supposed to believe that Cedric has magic, which he clearly doesn't. But, like, that's always the first thing I think when I watch this 
when I watch this scene, is we're supposed to believe that that Cedric has magic oh. because the way he just keeps staring at it, and then the the strap just loosens or snaps or whatever. Like, I don't know because it would. For me, it doesn't make sense that Cedric would have had access to Arthur's horse, but obviously he must have had access to the horse after Merlin settled it. This is one of those moments where, like, movie magic, like, logic, like, yeah, in real life, he would have never had a chance after Merlin fitted uh, the guys to actually come over and mess with it. But for some reason, as an audience member, we just don't question it. Like, yeah, of course he loosened it. Of course he did. (laughs) Because we didn't see it happen, but we see the effects of it. And that's, you know, but um, yeah, obviously, super dangerous for anyone to have access to Arthur's horse. Um. I have two costume notes for this scene. Number one is that <laughs> I know I know which one. <laughs> Merlin's not wearing a scarf, which I am very. He didn't wear one in the scene before that either. I like, know, but in, this in the is night like scene. in broad daylight where I can just see everything like so much <laughs> clearer. And he's he's not showing his ankles. <laughs> he's so like cheekbony in this scene I just ah I love season two Colin I know I know he's so thin um and my second costume note is for Arthur's jacket which okay we have I have to swallow my pride here it's coming okay so I was watching the uh commentary for this episode when I was doing my preparation um and while I was watching it, I was I kind of had it on one screen and doing something else on another. And Bradley mentions how, oh, the thriller jacket. I think they phased that out quite quickly because they thought it looked a bit too modern. But I quite liked it. And I thought, hang on a second. And so I, <laughs> I clicked to look at what he was talking about. And I regret to say that what I and then by extension Momo, who just kind of went along with it, have been referring to as the thriller jacket, which was the dark red velvet studded jacket with sleeves that he wears it's not so much a dark red it's well, more like a fire yeah dark okay red, yeah honestly. like well, well i mean it, it's it's darker than than like what he's wearing here um and uh that uh that he wears in season one uh with kind of the the collar um is what i have been referring to as the thriller jacket and what i thought was the thriller jacket it turns out that the kind of light burgundy with like a hint of pink like like mauve sort of colored leather like patent leather jacket slash vest that arthur is wearing in this episode and in other episodes um is the thriller like that is what bradley james himself is calling the thriller jacket so everything that i knew to be true is a lie i am very upset about this and then me and momo spent a very long time exchanging notes and pictures as to what we would consider to be most reminiscent of Michael Jackson's thriller jacket. And yes, to which I said that the one that Bradley calls a thriller jacket counts because A, it is leather and the collar and the shoulders are sort of almost shaped like the one Michael Jackson is wearing, but the one he wears in season one, which is the velvet studded jacket, also has the collar and the color <laughs> of the actual thriller jacket um that actually would make us think thriller jacket it's just not leather also my note for this is in this scene it's not a jacket it is a vest 
it is a vest it does not have sleeves it is therefore a thriller vest thriller vest indeed um although later in the episode the the jacket suddenly does become a jacket because then someone did actually tie the sleeves on but um, yeah in this scene it is not a jacket it is a vest and i would like to say i would like to correct rocks the color of the vest is actually darker than the one of the studded leather oh, jacket. Oh, really? Because the studded leather jacket really is more of a of a pendragon red, mm-hmm. while this is more of a dark wine burgundy red. I love this jacket, though. I hate the thriller jacket, like the Melissa thriller jacket. <laughs> I don't like that jacket. This jacket, I love <laughs> I don't know what it is, the the structure of it. I think it suits him. I think it... It in, does suit in him. In my opinion, it looks less modern than the one that he was wearing before. I have other notes about this oh, scene. Oh, so do I. That are not, that are not costume related. Go ahead. I'm very... I, I have lots to say as well, so go ahead. <laughs> Since when does Arthur need to step on Merlin's back to mount his horse? Ugh. Since when? Since the writers thought the kids would find it funny, because that... This is this scene is the first evidence that Arthur's character has reverted back to season one, episode one Arthur. He treats Merlin like garbage. I am not a fan. Like, look at the interaction they've had in Morte d'Arthur, or even any of the couple of episodes before I think of Arthur who went to Ialdor for Merlin and now look at this Arthur they are not the same people some alien swooped in and replaced Arthur with a clone except that their that their prototype was season one episode one Arthur and they forgot to update the software yeah this is literally what is happening here. And this is what you've been saying, Rox, that in season two, a lot of things, although not all of the things, but a lot of things have been sort of reset as if they were starting over with with the show. And Arthur's behavior towards Merlin in this episode especially, but also I, I think we can trace it into the next episode at the very least. Oh, yeah. Uh, is it's just completely reset. Someone found the reset button on Arthur and was like, look at this boy, he's got emotions, he's ruined, let's change that. Yeah, I think if I'm kind of trying to look at it from a writing perspective, I'm trying to think of, like I said, we're reintroducing the audience to this show. This episode is actually pretty comedic. It's very accessible. It's very, in my opinion anyway, it's very rewatchable because it's funny. There's not a lot of angst happening in it. Mackenzie Crook is amazing. There's some cool CGI. And I think that, you know, they don't, they want to give us the Mirtha banter that we know we loved in season one. And unfortunately, but I think they took not, it too far. It. They took it yeah, too far, yeah. And I think if they had had one scene you know, one scene with banter where Arthur is like, Merlin, what the fuck are you thinking? But, like, he literally steps on Merlin's back to mount a horse, which he doesn't need, which he has never needed to do, which he never needs to do again from here on out. It's just, it does not make sense. And the and the really annoying part is, is that the thing is, kids actually did laugh at this. Like, and apparently it got a laugh at the BFI, 
so I'm just a bit like but um I'm glad that this kind of bullshit in season two only really lasted for a couple of episodes and it does unfortunately come back like like I have a much bigger issue with his behavior in season three than I do in season two I think season two this particular moment with him climbing on his back I hate the other stuff that happens in the episode I don't have as big of an issue with because I think it's orchestrated by Cedric so well it's playing up to Arthur's like dickishness and I get that but the season three stuff where he's actually like physically throwing stuff at him that's where I start to draw the line but season two I can still kind of tolerate Arthur being like but yeah that's that's a thing because because of how we watch things today and like if you see it from the point of view of the writers from over 10 years ago where they expected where or well like the expectation is that most people who are watching this will watch this after a nine month gap during which they probably forgot everything about the show and probably won't rewatch it a bunch of times then it you know then it probably works um, but I will say, you know, Merlin does try and bite back in this scene, which I which I appreciate. Like, you know, he, you know, once Arthur starts yelling at him, he's sort of like, oh, it wasn't my fault, you know. So I do appreciate that. And he is, he holds his own in this episode, in my opinion. You know, he's actually like yelling at him later, which is why Arthur brings in Cedric to escort him from the palace. You know, he's like, you know, he's, he's not having any of it, which I do actually kind of appreciate, you know. Um, and I think it's nowhere near the level that we're at by the time we get to season five, but I feel like Merlin's a lot more comfortable with his position here already um, in terms of what he will say and what he, you know, feels like he can say to Arthur, which I think is important, even though, yeah, they have reverted Arthur horribly here. But interestingly, there is also this other side of the mirror in this scene and in the theme of the episode going forward, because with, what they've reset in terms of Arthur behaving like a dickhead again, what they haven't necessarily reset. And I really appreciate is that we have this whole jealousy plot line happening, which starts in this scene, which is so interesting to me. And I'm very surprised that this is the only time that they've ever played with this because I love plot lines like this. I think they can be very interesting when you do them properly. And, you know, it's a nice reminder to the audience that, Yes, we're reintroducing these characters, but these characters have a history. They have a history that's long enough that this character is jealous of this other character and is feeling threatened, you know, for him infiltrating his role as a servant. And I think that is really, really cool. But what I find really interesting about this scene is like according to Bradley and Colin and this is what and this is saying that this is why I like to listen to the commentaries as well just to refresh some behind the scenes knowledge for myself is that when they read through the script that the jealousy aspect apparently didn't really uh like uh, Bradley didn't really read into it that way when he first read it for himself it wasn't necessarily a huge part of the script like the jealousy aspect but the way Colin played it made it so and in my opinion, just completely transformed the comedy and the tension of these three characters interacting together. And I I mean, what do you think about the jealousy plotline here? Because, you know, Merlin is jealous for Arthur or for his job, at least. But in, you know, by extension, for the fact that he is Arthur's servant. And we know how he feels about that role. 
and we never really see that again but i really thought it was very very funny and you know cool that he at this point in the show where before he was kind of like oh arthur's servant now he's like no this is my job you're not serving my prince i think that's kind of cool i mean to be fair i didn't really uh read it at, like in that scene i didn't really read it as jealous in that scene i read it as merlin sort of um well, not really outraged. I'm I'm blanking on the word I'm looking for here, but like Arthur is even mouthing along with like when Cedric says the it honor. would be an honor, oh, you know, and Arthur is like the honor. Arthur and is Merlin, it up here, oh. and like yeah, and then just Arthur just being like you know showing Merlin, oh look, this is how you should treat me, and Merlin just looking at him incred incredulous is the word I'm looking for, um, just Merlin just being incredulous at what a dick author is being to him and just being like really that's the kind of treatment you want and expect from me and like merlin just being as surprised as i am basically <laughs> that author is acting this way yeah yeah you know even with him you know literally being a little bit bitchy and being like oh here you'll need a beater douche you know like that kind of stuff, like it doesn't kind of resonate with you on a bit of like, you know, back off, this isn't this isn't your territory kind of thing. Yeah, maybe that that part maybe a little bit where he's like, Here, have this <laughs> Yeah, when all when Merlin just uh whacks the beater into Cedric's Ooh, stomach. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is sort of that is sort yeah, this is sort of the the kind of petty jealousy. It's so good. that i can that i can see but everything before that is more like seriously <laughs> oh yeah for sure um i just love how arthur is having it up in this scene though as well how he's such like he's so easily bought it's absolutely hilarious yeah and like that 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 behavior that i will go with like when cedric shows up and and starts basically you know after he dipped into a big pot of uh vaseline starts slowly sliding up author's butt all the way to the top <laughs> you know that's where author is like with the with the with the big eyes and the and the the honor and all of that where he's just like basically playing around like this is where i'm like okay this is just author having a bit of fun having merlin on this is yeah, lads being like, lads. Like this is yeah, like the this, modern lads being like, yeah, it's just brilliant. This is where I'm like, all right, this is this is behavior that I can see as in character that works even with the with the history that Merlin and Arthur have. Where I'm like, yeah, all right, Arthur is just having a bit of fun. He's teasing Merlin about you know how other people actually consider it an honor <laughs> to be serving the prince and like sort of reminding him Merlin. You actually have a high position in the royal household. Do you realize how good you have it? You know. And Merlin's just like, fuck you. And then Merlin is like, here, you'll need this beater. Bam. Oh my god. It's just, <laughs> but, oh, but everything yeah, about it is so, like, ticks all my boxes of what I love. And yeah, obviously I do also see it through, like, shippy goggles. But even as, like, a general viewer, it's just funny because it's like, he's never had to fight for his position before. Like, Arthur's never passed him over for anyone before and it's just so entertaining to see this guy just like weasel his way in and Merlin being like 
no douche it's just absolutely amazing i love it uh are we done with this scene we can move on to the next one yeah there's this really short cut of guys going back down into the tomb oh yeah uh, in between these, um, between these two scenes, and I titled the uh, the one with Gaiuspedia because he he looks up something in a book and then he goes down into a tomb to double check whether what he found is correct. And my only note for that is, oh look, they quickly build a bit of an iron gate into the wall in front of the tomb. Like that was not there <laughs> the last time we burned that tomb, but someone quickly fastened the gate to the tomb. <laughs> Just to make sure it's secure. Just for Cedric to have a reason to actually steal the key. Oh, God. Um, <sighs> the one, yeah, the one with the hunt. Yeah, the one with the hunt is what I have. Uh, and Me too. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, I mean, I have very, very shallow kind of, like, just, like, meh notes for this. But, A, that boar is fucking massive. I'm pretty sure boars aren't that big in real life. Maybe it's that's magic. just my impression, but I don't think they're that big. Um, also, how did no one see Merlin using magic? There were several knights there, not just yes. Arthur. <laughs> but yes. clearly because the knights speak French, they don't know what's going on <laughs> around them. So that's okay. Yeah. And- um, I would say that probably boars might be able to get that big. Like, boars really are terrifying and they can get quite big. I'm not sure if they can get that big but they can get really big and scary and they might appear like seem bigger and scarier than they are just when they come charging at you that way okay um also just a little acting note for Mackenzie. oh he's such an amazing comedic he's so good. it's just the moving of the arm as if he's thrown the spear yes <laughs> oh god he's so good it's- it's just like these little decisions to just to just really sell it. <laughs> just, and, and it should be over the top, but for some reason it works. It's like, just Merlin's silent fury on the side. <laughs> yeah. He would just like to just... I, in this scene, I always wonder what would have happened if Cedric hadn't been there to claim the glory. Like, if none of the other knights claimed the throw, then Arthur would have to wonder who it was oh god <laughs> what would have happened merlin would merlin have been outed as a magic user would the would the knights actually have seen merlin use magic i assume this is not the first time that merlin's used magic on a hunt and i'm sure he would have found a way to like you know think th- yeah think i tripped and accidentally threw the spear <laughs> um also this little moment where Arthur's like oh you saved my life what do you wish for and he asks for a position in the royal household which why like surely you would give him an open vacancy why is Cedric all of a sudden serving Arthur Arthur already has a servant why (laughs) how 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 does having a position in the royal household equate to being Arthur's personal servant does nobody else have servants in the castle (laughs) like or does like is is there no one to cook and clean and empty maybe Maybe Cedric did receive a different post and then just kept showing up at Arthur's door on top of his other duties. Oh my god, that is... Uh, whatever. <laughs> um, so, the next scene that I have written down is the one with the sympathy part one. Because <laughs> there's just that... It's the first instance of him just walking in and, oh, just like... Meh. Yeah, I have, I, I have a 
the one where Merlin is sad to him. Yeah, it's and this is the first moment I think Bradley was talking about how at the BFI there was a lot of ahs, and it wasn't this moment; it was the second a sympathy one like with the with the horse shit with on his face yeah. yeah and then uh, the audience just oh and bradley apparently just like told the audience off <laughs> but yeah uh sympathy of course because merlin's just looking like a kick little puppy but there's no time for that because gaius has some information for us regarding the tomb and the only thing i really have to say about this episode is uh, sorry the, this scene is that Oh, Merlin, he was the most powerful sorcerer to have lived. Oh, really, guys? Because it seems that, you know, there seem to be a lot of most powerful exes to have ever lived, even though Merlin is supposed to be the most powerful sorcerer in the history of the world. It's funny how it's that's not the case. And I'm just like, what? Uh, and like, how come I've never heard about him? How come he's yeah. never been brought up till now? Th- thank you. Because I was about like, like the way Gaius says it, he sounds so scandalous. Like Merlin, how can you not know this? The thing is though, like Merlin doesn't have any knowledge about magic or its history unless Gaius tells him. <laughs> He's like the like for those of us who grew up in Camelot. Well, he didn't grow up didn't. in Camelot. What do you expect? <laughs> he grew up on a farm where the only power that there was was the power of sleeping around because there was nothing <laughs> else to do. Yeah. So... Also, I like I uh, on another note, I like how in this scene, Gaius makes Segan sound like Voldemort. So I shall be referring to him as Voldemort from here on out. <laughs> oh my god. Um. So, <laughs> the next one I have is the one with the domestic argument, which is <laughs> Gaius and Uther being husbands. And, like, I just, Uther, I love you so much because Gaius mentions Cornelius Segan. And, of course, of course, what Uther takes from the story is that it's about an arrogant sorcerer who met his untimely end. <laughs> Rather than <laughs> the most powerful sorcerer to have lived, trapping his soul, ready for releasing to wreak havoc upon people. No, he he read it as the arrogant sorcerer that came to an untimely end. And it's just like, oh, Uther, honestly. Uther, Uther to me, I like, I like Uther, but he is such a weird character because he knows magic exists. He tries to destroy it. That's his entire raison d'etre at this point. And more often than not, he's more than happy to believe it's sorcery that's causing problems. But then comes Gaius and tells him, look, this is Voldemort's tomb. We don't know what it could bring down on us. Let's close it back up to be on the safe side. And Uther goes, this belief in Voldemort is superstitious nonsense. Magic! Magic doesn't exist anymore! I conquered the old religions! Its omens mean nothing to me! It's like... (laughs) This is just the exact same Uther! Like, this is where it's continuity. (laughs) This is the same Uther as lost! I have written down in my notes, oh dear, how very typical of Uther. (laughs) He always believes it's magic, unless... Gaius tells him, look, it's magic. And then he's like, it can't be magic. I eradicated magic. It's just like, I think he wants to be the one that came up with the idea. Uther won't accept it if Gaius says it because it was, he must be the one to come up with the idea. 
it's so brilliant really uh just for comedic value but yeah just oh my god also how he says guys don't spread panic amongst my people it's like since when has guys ever gone down into the lower town screaming sorcery sorcery <laughs> when has that ever happened seriously <laughs> oh god i love this show <laughs> i really do. Okay. The next the next scene is the one with Morgana's nightmare. I have the same title. There we go. And you know, to emphasize that she has a nightmare, we can see a couple of gargoyles looming threateningly in the dark. And then we have some some more Gwen Hurt comfort for the shippers, which is always nice. And she's got her new uh costume. This is the first time we see her new costume. Uh, which she's wearing the aqua dress in this scene, which I pref—I think I prefer this one to the purple one. I don't know why. I think it, it, it looks a bit more practical to me. I think the apron, I, I don't know. Um, oh, we're talking about Gwen. Gwen, yes. Sorry. <laughs> right. No, that's fine. Uh, I was like, wait. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's uh, she's now living in the in the antechamber as well. But I feel like that's kind of like... Even though she has her own house. Yeah, but I think we see that quite a lot. Like yeah, and I mean, like I said, it would make sense that if Morgana has been having nightmares frequently, then, you know, maybe Gwen decided to stick around to be there for Morgana when she wakes up. And this is a nice callback to the first season, although I will say that, from, in my opinion, like, I would have preferred them insinuate that this has been happening a little bit over the hiatus because later on Gaia like she says to Gaius uh it's happening again isn't it as if like and I hate it when shows do this like apparently everything goes to sleep during the hiatus and it's only when the show starts back up again that like bad things occur and I just wish that sometimes tv shows would try to like bridge the gap and be like no like life goes on when you're not watching (laughs) so that would be really nice and so for me it would have been nice to have a throwaway line of maybe Gwen being like Shh, like you know I know it keeps happening but it's okay rather than like Morgana then later on be like oh it's happening again isn't it but I do appreciate that they're like at least like laying the seeds so the one I have next is the one with the dick measuring contest um oh yeah because this is what I'm saying like I mean of course you know you are completely free to read into these interactions however you like but for me, it's just like, you know, Merlin coming in with breakfast and seeing Cedric having laid out this amazing spread for Arthur. And he is not happy. It's so great. Um, And yeah, apparently Bradley like kept not like kept flubbing his lines, but like kept almost forgetting to speak because he was like just enjoying all this lovely food. He was like, yeah, no, no, I, th- I think I think Cedric's got it covered. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, just again, like th- 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 these are just very petty notes, but why is it Merlin's job to prepare Arthur's food? Like whenever Merlin brings food to Arthur, Arthur reacts as though it was Merlin that created the menu when I'm pretty sure it would just be the kitchen staff that make the food and then Merlin would just bring it to him. But Arthur is like, where did Cedric get all this food from? Like, why is Merlin always being told by like, especially in like an episode like Lady of the Lake when Arthur like, believes him that like this apple and like some dried bread is like what he's having for breakfast it's like does Merlin decide what you eat I'm pretty sure that's not a thing (laughs) it just really pisses me off no yeah I agree um also yeah just Mackenzie being a legend in this scene oh 
I'll just get the door for you. It's just that is I have that in my notes. That is literally the best part of the entire scene where he sort of, you know, passive aggressively gets the door for Merlin in this clear dismissal. And I just I have a note about this, like a serious note about this. It's the way um Cedric acts in this scene, this you know, this arrogance about being the one to serve Arthur rather than Merlin getting to serve Arthur. It's this arrogance is what could have been Merlin because believe it or not, being the crown prince's personal servant really is an honor and is a high position in in the royal family. And Merlin just never realized that because he didn't grow up there. He he doesn't know anything about this. And for him, it is literally just a chore <laughs> to be serving Arthur, especially at the beginning when he didn't like Arthur. And just no one really explains the importance of Merlin's job to him, I think. Like, Merlin draws importance from his job from the fact that he gets to be close to Arthur so he can protect Arthur. He doesn't get how actually having this position in the royal household really is a big deal and that other people are probably jealous of him for getting that job. Like, Merlin didn't have to do anything other than accidentally save Arthur's life. While other people, you know, servants like probably George and others, uh, Morris from season one, who I think doesn't show up anymore now, um, they worked hard their entire lives, their entire working lives to work their way up to maybe becoming some sort of important servant in the castle. You know, if Merlin just accidentally falls into it and doesn't even appreciate it. Um, so the next scene that I have, I've just called the one with the doctor's visit, which is Gaius and Morgana. Yeah. I have just a very quick note again. I just wish that her nightmares had actually started during my hiatus. That's all I have to say about that. Anything for you? Um, yeah, I just, I like how Morgana looks small and vulnerable in that scene. Yes. Because, uh, I mean, she is in her, in her nightclothes, she's barefoot, her hair is down, she's, um, she's got her, uh, legs drawn up, she's sitting in the middle of her, of her huge bed, so that all helps to make her look really small and vulnerable. And, um, then Gaius gets away with touching Morgana's knee very affectionately. I'm assuming because he is a sort of grandfather figure for her. <laughs> yeah, I also like how Morgana is concerned about Gwen's feelings because, uh, you know, uh, I forgot how the actual dialogue go goes, but like uh, a strong hit on the on the head, and then um, I'm Gwen could do it. I'm sure she wants to. Which to me suggests that Morgana has woken up Gwen in the middle of the night with screaming a couple of times recently. For me, it is implied that Morgana has been having nightmares between season one and season two, like in the hiatus. Because why else would Gwen want to whack Morgana over the head if not when Morgana has been waking her up? several times a week well there's conflicting in information here because morgana uh says yeah you you're right that that's what she says but then gaius says morgana one raven doesn't mean that your nightmares are returning so yeah it's you know i'd i mean it could for me that sort of implied that they have been trying several remedies haha -ha. 
<laughs> and none of them cured all ills apparently but they have been trying several potions and some of them maybe work for a night or two and then they stop working mm-hmm. i don't know it could be that but yeah you're right it definitely there is conflicting information here what i do like is it's their valid. little you know <laughs> yeah what i do like is their little banter in this scene and then the the look Gaius gives her when she says the thing about Gwen probably wanting to whack her over the head, and Gaius just gives her this, well, this this you're an annoying teenager look that he also bestows on Merlin a couple of times a week probably. He's just like, stop. He's a, he's ancient. He's done with all of them. He just wants to live a peaceful life. Yeah. Um. Truly, truly, he just wanted to be left in peace, and then this teenager showed up on his doorstep. Um. So, the next scene title that I have is the one where Merlin takes a nap, and I've combined like Merlin mucking out the horses, Merlin falling asleep, and Arthur coming in, and the interaction just all okay. in that one kind of okay. thing. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, I have one very quick note yes. about... Uh, I, I mean, I have more notes, but one very quick note is never underestimate the comedic value of someone's face falling on a pile of dung. Really? <laughs> it's just... <laughs> and also, like, now that I know that it was kind of like oatmeal and chocolate, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like, <laughs> oh, I thought... I want to fall face first into that. Yeah, like oatmeal, <laughs> chocolate, and hay, or something like that, was like the mixture okay. uh, that they had for that. Which, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, you know, it looks really real, but yeah, I'm like, oh, that that looks nice. <laughs> um, but <laughs> edible. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a couple of like n- notes. I'm just gonna bounce around here. So mm-hmm. Arthur's blue jacket. I just love this costume. He wears it a lot in season two. And this is where I'm saying, like, for me, Arthur's season two wardrobe is superior to his season one wardrobe. Simply, like, even for this blue jacket alone, blue suits him so well. It's such a nice shade. It's dark, so it doesn't look too tacky. It's velvet, which I really appreciate. Um, And, yeah, I... It brings out his eyes. It's beautiful. And, yeah, this is the kind of velvet that I don't mind. Like, I just don't like it with, like, ornamentation. Um, mm-hmm. so this is the first time I've noticed this and I've watched this episode so many times, but when we cut back to Merlin after the horses have escaped, he's laying like he's taking a nap and I, yeah. and I just realized now that Cedric must have moved him to look like that. Oh, because he couldn't okay. have fallen I... like that. No, he did. He definitely didn't fall like that. I was... I was thinking that when I watched that, I was like, he looks like he moved into sleep position. So did he, like, subcon- like in his sleep, did he just move into that position by himself? Or did someone fuck up in the, uh, like, did someone, i.e. the director, fuck up? Because otherwise Merlin should be lying there like he literally just fell down and that would be a much more awkward wait to lie there but cedric moving him actually is a great explanation it just hit me today like when i watched it the other day i was like oh that slimy bastard he actually moved him to make it look because obviously if merlin had just collapsed arthur might have like seen that he just collapsed you know like it wouldn't it makes him look so much more guilty and obviously he's not yeah because he's not laying in the shit is he he's moved he is no, no, he's he still has his head on the pile of oh, dung. Oh, okay, okay. He using it. He's using it as a pillow. 
Um, everything about like the beginning of this scene is so funny. Like Arthur's just raised eyebrows. The fact that he doesn't really raise his voice that much in this scene, but it's just his exasperation and that kind of what I call his silent fury. Bradley is such a funny actor. Like we've said it so many times, but just that kind of like, you know, perhaps we're looking for the same thing. And Merlin's just so out of it. Like he's high or something. He's just like the horses. And that, and that moment where he goes, as I don't know what happened. And Arthur just puts his hands up to his face and goes, oh. <laughs> it's just like absolutely wonderful. Like how he's, he's just so like just at his wits end with Merlin, because I mean, this is what I was saying about Cedric is it's kind of perfect because Arthur already thinks that Merlin's a, a bit of an idiot, like from season one. And he's setting him up for all these scenarios where he looks really bad. And it's like, yeah, but, this is this is also what I'm saying is where, sure, Merlin is not a great servant. We know this. But also, we haven't really seen him make super grave mistakes since maybe Valiant, where he forgot to give Arthur his sword or didn't know how to fasten his armor. Like, I can't think of instances where Merlin has been a truly terrible servant and making a ton of mistakes or falling over for no reason. And, like, how, like, I don't understand how Arthur can come to the conclusion that just because Merlin fell asleep in the stables, all the horses managed to escape. By that logic, any time the stables, like, there's no person in the stables, the horses would be able to escape. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> because that's, that's about the same logic. Like, Arthur has to know that the horses usually are tied down like even if Merlin actually fell asleep and wasn't drugged <laughs> you know it, why would that automatically result uh, in the horses running away and Merlin being at fault for this I don't understand how Arthur can be acting this way unless like the only explanation I can come up with is that before this episode started Arthur and Merlin have been having a super big argument like a super big fight about whatever and now Arthur is just being a petty dick who just takes everything that goes wrong as evidence for Merlin being not great <laughs> you know I accept just, this headcanon <laughs> I I'm just this is the only explanation I have for why Cedric's manipulation actually works so well here because there is no other reason like even the way Arthur was acting earlier in the scene with the breakfast you know he was I don't know what he's punishing Merlin for but to me that scene definitely read like Arthur punishing Merlin for something and Arthur showing Merlin this is what I could have see how much better I could have it but I'm deigning to stick with you but actually maybe I want to switch to another servant because you're not doing it for me I you know it's this is everything I read into this episode is Arthur trying to punish Merlin for something and I don't know what he's punishing him for and I just this is this is where I get upset but this is why I wish that my kind of dream for the Merthyr relationship would have actually happened where Merlin spent season one 
getting to understand and appreciate and love Arthur and then season two was Arthur's turn because this would have then made sense like if Arthur hadn't have turned around and shown such willingness to sacrifice and be kind and good in season one then it yeah of course he's gonna behave this way because he doesn't care if Arthur had been a dick throughout the entirety of season one then yes this would make sense there's also this thing where when Merlin wakes up and he sees Arthur he actually says sire Merlin never says sire to Arthur like almost never says sire to Arthur he might call him sire in front of other people but usually he calls him he doesn't really call him sire anymore what like when they're alone yeah Hmm, I'm really interested in that now. I'm gonna have to go do some research. Like I don't I mean, obviously I don't I don't have the statistics to back me up here, mm. which I know, bad of me. But I would say that like my my impression is that when they're alone, Merlin doesn't call Arthur Sire that often. Not often. I think the only time like literally just off the top of my head and I I, I actually really want to go and dig deeper into this now because i apparently have nothing better to do with my life um and i i do know that in season three ep two when uh arthur's kneeling by uther's bedside he walks in and he says sire it's time and but they are technically alone uther's unconscious like he can't hear them so um but yeah i i don't know yeah, yeah that that is but it's just it felt super weird to me that merlin was saying it in yeah just in this moment it just it it just yeah it just felt sort of weird it's strange it, ne- it like it, it never read weird to me i don't know why if it's just the way that they played it or because he 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 does look so threatening like in that position and merlin's just kind of woken up but i like i don't know but but i can mm. but i can also see your point and now and now i really want to go and like do the research as to like when he uses his real name when he uses a title i think that would be so cool um yeah also another thing i really like in this scene is just how cedric just casually leans oh, against God. the door <laughs> don't be so harsh with him <laughs> let's get into that part of the scene because talk about comedy value i mean that that's what i'm saying about this episode it's so entertaining yeah honestly cedric i mean i know a lot of people hate cedric as a character but i i can't like i i hate uh, well not hate but i dislike author for letting himself be manipulated this way but cedric 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 is just a con man trying to get some money and sure he's being he's being mean to merlin but you know somewhat he has to get into the position to get those keys somehow merlin is in the way and he's not actually physically harming merlin and like that's the thing like he like like uh, he's a bit of an antagonist but he's but he's harmless and it's just he is he is a plot device uh, in order to, like I said, uh, uh, make Merlin jealous. Exactly. He isn't. He isn't trying to hurt, like physically hurt anyone. He isn't trying to kill anyone. He literally just wants to steal some gold. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who can blame him? You know, but uh, you know, so he he sidles in and he's just <laughs> like, he's a good servant. He's just tired and he touches Merlin's shoulder and call I mean I don't know if this was directed but he just moves his shoulder wait I am not like he just get like moves out the way and, but again just the beats the comedic beats here's like maybe if he had the afternoon off I don't want the evening off maybe just some rest and then Arthur's just kind of like I think you're right and Merlin goes no and he's like 
shut up Merlin. Like he doesn't even shout. He just goes, shut up Merlin. It's just like, <laughs> oh my God, these three, these three. My my favorite part in that scene is at the end when Cedric hands Merlin his jacket and dusts <laughs> Dust it off a little off. bit. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, uh, so obviously the, um, you know, the famous clot pole line, you know, that we have. Oh yeah. You know, and if you want to do a clot pole, you see that and then dead silence. And then in the script, there was no line from Cedric, and he had ad-libbed on the day, Clotpole, he he said Clotpole, and <laughs> apparently the way that, yeah, he played it was like, and Bradley was like, you know, not that anyone knows what a Clotpole is, but the way he said it was just like, oh my god, like, he's literally just called you a Clotpole, like, are you gonna take that? And it's like, <laughs> apparently, like, the two of them were just, like, constantly laughing on Mackenzie's close-ups, because of his sort of, like, Cedric's right he can look after but like as soon as this Cedric's right Cedric does this little movement with his face and be like oh shucks it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you know what I mean <laughs> yes. like, oh. Mackenzie just blows my mind <laughs> this has so turned into cool. a Mackenzie Crook fangirl episode yes um yeah and what you know to kind of then put a downer on things but you know you can go home and think about whether you want to be my servant or not and it's you know it kind of leads us into the the sad you know the awe but um we are transitioning into the sad and i uh, titled this scene the one with a lot of sympathy part two um and there's something so striking to me about that shot of merlin just sitting on his bed with the horse shit on his face with his head down and this scene to me is so freaking important not only does he look so pathetic sitting there like you know the greatest sorcerer like whatever and look at the state of him you know but compared to how powerful he looked in the previous episode with the fireball and the and the weather and you know look at him now you know how this is his life you know this is his kind of moonlighting as this you know powerful sorcerer that you know the druids know he is and everything and then his real life looks like this and you know what i think is a really amazing like change here is in i think it was ep3 uh you know he's having a hissy fit and he's like how long do i have to wait until i'm going to be recognized that would even by this point in season two which i didn't even realize it was kind of so soon that these changes were starting to happen but he's not saying I want to be recognized. He says, I just want Arthur to trust me and to see me for who I really am. He doesn't care about the glory. And obviously that comes, you know, even more meta when he comes face to face with Segan. But he doesn't care about the glory or the honor or any of that or riches. He just wants to be known to Arthur because he cares, like he's important to him still, even though he behaves the way he does, he's still important to Merlin. And just the fact that he thinks that Merlin's an idiot because that's, I mean, A, that's what Merlin has to pretend anyway, but that's what Cedric's making him look like. And it's just so damn heartbreaking, like everything about this moment. And I will say, I wish that it had followed a slightly more dramatic scene. Like there's a scene in The Witch's Quickening where Arthur yells in Merlin's face, telling him that he's good for nothing. And like, that would have been a really good scene to pre- to precede 
a moment like this where he's just like i just want like i just want arthur to know who i really am like i'm sick of this but i think it's a really nice scene to put into like a season opener like this because it brings us back down to reality as to what this show is really about like yeah there's all mm-hmm. the there's all the comedy and there's all this but at the end of the day it's just merlin being extremely lonely in yeah. in his destiny and it's just oh it's so good it's so good yeah i really like this little interaction between guys and merlin like guys is being fatherly and merlin needs that from him right now and he like guys also reminds merlin that he needs to be patient but he's also trying to be understanding that merlin wants the future to be now yeah you know merlin merlin is a baby and he's already been incredibly patient for someone his age you know with his with his abilities and everything that you just said and Gaius is trying to be understanding of how merlin is feeling but he's also trying to reassure him and to to you know tell him it will happen it will happen i know you've been already waiting forever or it feels like forever but arthur isn't quite there yet and i really i really like that and then there's there's the the music i noticed this the music transitions really well in that scene because it starts out with a really sad theme to give you all the emotions and then it transitions seamlessly into the music for like now we are talking about and how much shit we are <laughs> yeah which is so funny like i mean and and i will just mention the one line really quickly that i adore because it's one of my favorite lines from the entire show and it is so simple it's just everything i do is for him and he just thinks i'm an idiot and i mean if that doesn't put a knife in your heart i really don't know what does it's so heartbreaking and guys like you said he's trying but he's also like okay let's wrap this up let's wrap this up we need to talk about something else and yeah and i think that you know that 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 little transition when he sits down he says you know i believe that you and arthur are destined for greatness blah blah and merlin just says it's hard and like i think that first time that he said that he's like it's the first time that he's just like i'm just tired gaius like and he really wants to talk and this is what breaks my heart there's always something else you know like there's always fucking something happening that needs his attention that needs his magic fix you know and he really just wanted to have a conversation right now like he was opening up he was like i'm tired can we talk like i'm really struggling here because i'm sad and gaius was like now is not the time for these conversations and i'm just like i wonder if this also contributed like to how closed off merlin became later on because it just felt like there was never the right time for him for his problems and it's just Ooh. like you know there's always something there's there's an afank or there's a griffin or there's a or there's a sorcerer or there's a witch finder and okay but when do i get to have a chance to actually talk about what matters to me i just wish i could climb into that show and just sit and listen to him <laughs> because you know what you know what merlin will have a long time to talk don't say it and figure out how he feels about everything don't <laughs> Once Arthur is dead, so <laughs> you need to be careful what you wish for. <laughs> God, um, I also he looks so pretty in this scene. He is so pretty in this scene <laughs> with like the candlelight. God, so 
pretty. I I like how once Gaius has explained, you know, all the all the dangers that they are in, Merlin neatly sums it up once again for the audience. He's like, so if anyone removes this heart crystal uh, or removes this crystal, it will break, and then the soul will be free, and Cornelius Segan will return. Yes, and I'm like. Neat. Now the audience really knows what to look out for. <laughs> that <laughs> is just... hilarious. Right. Um, yeah. So the next, uh, you know, now that the angst, uh, we have some shirtless Bradley with the, yes! with the key. Uh, literally the only note I have for this scene is shirtless Bradley. And then the other note yeah. I have is how the fuck did Arthur not hear the keys rattling when Cedric removed them from the drawer? Okay, I have I have two notes for this. The one, uh, two and a half actually. The first one is 100% recycled shot from when they used it earlier in yeah. the episode. Uh, I don't mind because I always appreciate Arthur's chest. And uh, yeah, I just we've we've sort of mentioned this before with like Morgana in To Kill the King and other instances, but Arthur really is not the best guy to be guarding keys because I think this is at least the third time someone's stolen keys from him if not the fourth and he puts them like in this in this scene he puts them in a chest of drawers he locks the chest and then he keeps the key to the chest in the lock like pointless really seriously you might have just left them on the table it would have been just as secure (laughs) why all right let's just move Uh. on (laughs) so the next uh scene we have is the one with all the improv, which is uh, Mackenzie going into the vaults and like stealing the stone. And I don't have much to say about the scene apart from the fact that Mackenzie is once again being Mackenzie and that he uh, isn't really paying much attention to what he's putting in his bag, even though he wants all the jewels, but he's dropping a lot of jewels. <laughs> if it were me, I would be meticulously, you know, picking things up, not just like throwing things all over the place. I'm sure they're all very valuable. <laughs> I'm just, um, First off, the old smoke bomb trick again. It's the same thing he did with uh, with the stables. It has proven to be working. He does it again. I like it. And then my other note is Mackenzie Crook was probably told to just go wild, but to find the jewel at the end. Oh yeah. Which this is this is 100% what happens. The moment when he when he plunges his hand into the red jewels and then just rubs them in his face. <laughs> And it's just, oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Um, that is absolutely hysterical. Um, so the next scene that I have written down here is the one with the exposition, and this is when they realize that the that the heart is missing. And yeah. the reason why I have this written down here is because they we have this interaction with Gaius and Merlin, which is so painful to watch because they basically oh just go god. step by step. And all oh I have written god. down here. I love how we need this scene so that the audience can see that Merlin is aware that uh, Mackenzie has the stone because for fuck's sake, Merlin is not that dumb and he would have been able to connect the dots without Gaius's help, but we still needed it to be on screen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's I, my, my note for that particular moment is detective Gaius guiding Merlin to the truth. And also my other note for the scene is Arthur's, thriller jacket is now an actual jacket because someone attached the arms which reminds me of a jacket i once had as a kid where you could detach the arms and hood with a zipper 
and wear it as a vest. So they're basically the same. They're basically the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're like you can you can see they're like tied on with leather straps or something like the 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 way the fashion in Italy in the 18th century mm-hmm. was, which I know because I watched Bradley in Medici where he wears jackets that have this exact same feature. <laughs> Oh, like so it's life imitating art is what you're saying <laughs> yes um basically. so the next scene we have i'm so excited to talk about this the one with the bitch fight because first of all i'm i think there was a cut scene here because colin i think mentions it in the commentary where there was a scene that was removed and he felt a bit off about it because he felt like his performance here towards bradley was a bit seemed a bit extreme like like his line delivery and we don't know what the scene was but clearly it was something that had him very rattled because when he comes in he's like cedric is possessed like like he's very like i personally think that as an audience member it reads fine but knowing that information now i'm like oh yeah like there was a scene cut here for sure <laughs> yeah he probably the, the cut scene is probably something like merlin seeing cedric being possessed like like the change in the eyes for Cedric or Cedric doing some magic or something. I'm sure Merlin watched Cedric as Cedric is possessed do something. And then that's where he's like, Cedric is possessed. Yeah. Um. So I'm just going to go kind of like moment by moment, because the first thing that pisses me off is that, so I just have this written down. The fact that Arthur threatens to fire Merlin. So he says, this isn't helping you keep your job. Um, So the fact that Arthur threatens to fire Merlin here just goes to show how the Merlin writers brought out the wheel of plots again, because Merlin later on and even before this has accused people of far worse. For example, in Beauty and the Beast part one, he literally accuses his like Arthur's father's new wife, the queen of being a troll. And what does Arthur do? Just laughs. <laughs> so yeah. the fact that he's accusing Cedric, someone that Arthur has no emotional attachment to whatsoever, who is not a high-ranking noble in any way, shape, or form, accusing him of being possessed and Arthur threatening to fire him for it is so stupid that I can't even blame Arthur for it. I just blame the writers. I mean, I, mean, I will say that this episode like the way it's been written and the way we've we've been watching it so far is I don't find that out of character or really weird. Like it doesn't uh it doesn't ping me as wrong. In this episode from Arthur's point of view, Merlin has he has made only two mistakes, but to Arthur they probably accumulated. Like especially if we go with my headcanon that yeah, they've true. been in a fight before. So <laughs> I love that and it's <laughs> Uh, this is my headcanon now. There's no other explanation. This is the only way it makes sense. That uh, there was a fight about how, you know, the fight could have been about Mer- how Merlin never wanted to be Arthur's servant because that would make the most sense to me. How they made a, had a fight about how, how Merlin never wanted to be Arthur's servant. He was just given this job and then it was expected to perform in it. But even if you leave that out, because obviously it's just injecture. But... Oh, it's canon. It's canon, my mom. I don't care. <laughs> But, like, Arthur has watched Merlin make mistake after mistake, and Arthur has reached a point where he's just like, Merlin, you are being desperate, you are grasping for straws, 
stop stop accusing innocent people who are just trying to slip up my arse as far as they can go of nefarious motives. It, it works, sort of, that author is trying to intimidate Murder by being like, this isn't helping you keep your job. Yeah. Where he's like, <clears throat> just keep going like this. I have already found a replacement for you, one that's much better. Yeah. And it's the one you're accusing of being uh, a nasty sorcerer. Uh, and, um, like... I like I said before, I love that Merlin is just done with him at this point. He's like tried to be nice about it, and he's just like, "You are not listening to me." Like, just yeah. like, and he's yelling at like, and you know what? Good on him. Like, you know, I think he's really holding his own. Um, and he is not suffering any falls in this episode, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, Cedric walks in looking very very creepy to escort i mean escort merlin like he's tiny okay whatever like cedric is gonna escort merlin and then we have <laughs> the most glorious moment which is just merlin throwing himself at cedric <laughs> and what did he think that would accomplish <laughs> he just i just think he's did so he tough. hope that he that he could just knock segan's soul out of cedric no i think he's just pissed fed up he's just re- like he's jealous he's angry he's pissed he's furious like he's mad at Arthur, he just mad snaps. At yeah and what i love and like even bradley and colin say like i love how with the music it makes you feel like it's gonna be this big fight but it's just like nasty little like ow oh that really <laughs> like like his thumb in his eye and like all this kind of stuff <laughs> but it's arthur's reaction just make my day here first of all when he sees merlin throw himself at cedric his eyebrows just shoot up as if to be like hat down was not expecting that (laughs) and he's we've never seen merlin you know be physical with people before so that's probably a surprise to arthur as well and then they're like rolling around on the floor ow ow and arthur just starts rubbing his eyes as if to be like (sighs) have mercy on me (laughs) and then he walks around he's like merlin at this point, Merlin stands up and throws himself at Mackenzie, who kicks him over, and Merlin's legs knock off into the floor. <laughs> and I feel like at this point, Arthur's like, right, I have been touched. That's it. The scores, are, <laughs> the gloves are off. Merlin then crawls around on his hands and knees after Cedric under the bed, and Arthur's chasing him as if he's looking for a puppy or a toddler. <laughs> and it is literally just i could watch that scene on loop every single day if i was having a bad moment it's honestly just like the funniest thing and um yeah and then he just like like throws himself at Merlin, picks him up by the scruff of his neck and like kind of pushes him out of the way he throws me you know of course we had to throw merlin into the cells because you know that's the only place that apparently people can call off but okay (laughs) whatever but also okay from a writing point of view what was the point of merlin being locked up in the dungeons if he ends up escaping anyway to settle the scores at the battle and then going back to the like what was the point of putting him in there if he doesn't stay in there yeah, like, there is there is no point. I mean, there is this one scene later on where he sneaks around as not to be seen. Yeah, but that doesn't but, make any but difference. But that 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 yeah, that doesn't make it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. 
Yeah. Oh, I don't know what the point To pad out the runtime, I guess. I don't know. Um, Probably. The next scene I have is the, the one with the gargoyles, which is... Uh, this is just like with Segan. Like, I, I am returned and the gargoyles are coming down and attacking Camelot. And... Um, I just my note for this is most powerful sorcerer to have ever have lived, and he's calling down a bunch of gargoyles. Okay, <laughs> like that. I mean, Merlin has never done that. Yeah, but like this, like this is the best way to lay siege to Camelot. Like not like a ball of fire or a meteorite or something. Maybe it's supposed to be, you know, uh, Camelot castles because he wasn't it said that he helped build the castle yeah. or that he that he was the one who actually built most of the castle with magic and then he's basically and then the king from however long ago had him executed because Segan was getting too powerful and now he's using Camelot to fight back that's really cool yeah I like you know that. so I, I like suppose that. that's that's where I can can see this making yeah making sense I like that I like and that. I I cannot get around mentioning his raven feather coat <laughs> because how else are we supposed to know that he is evil unless he wears a weird coat? And his hair is slicker now. Oh god, it looks terrible. <laughs> but he had to change appearance somehow to distinguish him from Cedric. And I mean, I suppose a different person would have styled themselves differently, so it does make sense, you know. Um, but... The... Next, uh, so we have a bunch of commotion and Gwen shows up uh, and then we have a little scene which I've called the one with Uther's verdict, which is when like Arthur shows up. And the only kind of note I have for this, it makes me laugh because it makes it seem as though like Arthur is delivering like brand new direct information to Uther. He's like, this has just happened. Like people are panicking. And yet... Not only is he in chainmail, ready for battle, but apparently he got into it himself because he sent his servant to the dungeons. And the other one disappeared to, to be, be an evil. evil sorcerer. Oh, Arthur, you don't have the best experience as a businessman, do you? Um, <laughs> but I have a quote here from Titanic, because of course I do. And it's sort of like the opposite of what like this guy is saying in here, because in the movie, Lovejoy says to Jack... It's funny. The young lady slipped so suddenly and you still had time to remove your jacket and your shoes. And I have a similar thing to say to Arthur, which is you showed up to give your father this extremely important and time sensitive information, but you still had time to get into a full set of chainmail. <laughs> and it's just like, how is he already dressed for battle when He's just, oh, it's just, I, like, whatever. But yeah. This is just what Arthur, Arthur was just playing dress up. In his own chambers, <laughs> admiring, <laughs> admiring himself in his chamber. He's just like, "Ooh, I haven't worn chainmail in three days. I must put it on to see if it still fits me, and if I still look as dashing as I always oh, do." God. And then in that moment, oh no, there's a panic outside. There's a there's an excellent utherism in this uh, scene. It's don't tell me what cannot be done. <laughs> 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 Which is just such an Uther line, I love it. <laughs> oh, and I've just put, oh, Uther, why do you not listen to your husband? What did he say? He's like, you cannot defeat a man who has conquered mortality. And he's just like, yes. he's like, why aren't you listening to me? Yeah. Um, and uh, I could swear that when they're fighting outside, I could swear I saw Sir Owain 
which is strange because he's he also conquered mortality. <laughs> I mean, it could just be an identical-looking white boy. Honestly, they all blend into one yeah. after a while. But like for a second, I was like, is that a wine? <laughs> um so the next couple so i've kind of tried to split these next sequences up a bit because they can you know like in terms of scenes it's a bit tricky so i have the one with the battle scenes part one which ends with merlin coming to sneak up and find gaius that has like a natural rest point so that's where i've got that so everything that happens in that moment so um morgana coming into the infirmary kind of place to help out oh i just miss good morgana yes it's it's showing how kind she is. And it's like I'm my note is savor the moments, they'll be the last ones for a while. Exactly. <laughs> oh and how she's yeah. just like Yeah, oh she's just amazing. I love Morgana so much in these early seasons. Um yeah. Guy is saying to Gwen, We need more bandages. So did okay. Gwen had to leave the safety of the castle to go and find bandages rather than get them from some other like she had to cross the courtyard of course so that she can then save arthur's life so that she can then like throw herself on top of him to save him my 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 title for this particular scene is the one with the anime style girl with big boobs falls on top of male protagonist trope yeah (laughs) which is a long ass title but basically encompasses the entire scene but like look at her 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 bosom is heaving it is ridiculous and then he's like like later on like a couple of seconds later when they when she has helped him into the infirmary and is like touching his chest where where his chainmail is torn up and then he's trying to say something and then he he ends with you always surprise me what okay let me let okay hang on let's just dissect this because i'm just okay okay i'm so tired already right so Gwen has a very strange interaction with with Arthur here. She says, "I'm I'll get something to stop the bleeding," which, by the way, you can't do because you fail to get the bandages that you were sent out to get in the first place. Then, and also he's still wearing chainmail. How are you gonna? Never mind. <laughs> then he calls her back and he says, "Guinevere, you always surprise me," which yes is ridiculous because. They've had all of two conversations by this point in canon. What is she surprising you by? Her ability to use gravity to her advantage? (laughs) Um, She's only done this once. It doesn't qualify as always. And then uh, she says, is that it? And then she leaves and he says, yes. Oh, thank you. And then she walks away and he has this weird look on his face. And... This is what I'm saying. Like, in La Morte de Arthur, we're led to assume that Gwen is flustered by Arthur and his kind of, like, boyish, like, charms. And then here it's like Arthur feels smitten with her. And then in Once and Future Queen, it feels as though they're starting from square one again. Nothing about their interaction in this moment makes any sense to me. Like anything but this like they could you know they had enough filler in this episode they could have actually written a decent arwen scene to go in here i don't know how you would have done it but this is just doesn't it's just not good well you wouldn't have done it by her falling on top of him that's just let's just get that out there right away that's not how you would have done it no 
Yeah, I think I just wrote here most pointless scene in the history of existence. It just doesn't, yeah. doesn't make any sense. But Uther then comes into the into the into the hospital and he sees Arthur and then um Arthur gives him like a report. Morgana and Gwen are trying to bandage. I really just just to just to interrupt you, but I really like how Uther immediately goes to Arthur. Arthur, are you alright? Arthur, are you hurt? He's like after the spook of the questing beast he is so concerned to make sure that Arthur is alright I mean obviously he had to send him out there to fight but uh, because that's what's expected but he's actually terrified of something actually happening to Arthur yeah and like we'll get to that because obviously Arthur gets up to say that there are people trapped on the drawbridge and also we have a nice little bit of Uther meta here where he's like we have to seal the citadel like he really you know he tries to make the best calls for the most amount of people you know he's like well what else am i supposed to do like yeah okay like i have to seal the citadel and then arthur goes out to save the people that are trapped on the drawbridge and um uther you know doesn't want to let him go but reluctantly does and arthur saying it's my duty to camelot and to myself which i think is a very interesting choice of words first of all like it's not just a duty to camelot it's a duty to himself that's very yeah, probably the 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 morality of it. Like he can't just let people die. Yeah, it's very interesting but, to me. And yeah. like Arthur, this is I think where we really start to see the seeds being sown of Arthur being a leader. Like in the yeah. like we don't really get that in season one, do we? Not really. Like we have mm. like yeah, like in the Eldor, but not in Camelot. This is the first time yeah. we really see him like being a taking charge. It's beautiful. It's so it's so yeah. nice to see that progression. I would like to point out something else again. Uh, it's Morgana who's actually bandaging up Arthur. So I guess we can count this as your last little oh, armor moment. Uh, yeah, there's a beautiful promo picture of the two of them from this episode with that, but with that scene where she's bandaging him up and. Oh, just Gwen, can you leave them to it, please? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what's confusing me. Gwen standing by. Because apparently Arthur needs two people taking care of him. It's just, it doesn't make sense that Gwen would be standing by when she could be helping other people. Like, why does Arthur need two people bandaging him up? Like, I get that he's an important person, but he doesn't have that many wounds. It's just one. Um... The next one I have is the one with Merlin sneaking around. And, you know, we've discussed this before about the dragon and we'll get to the dragon in a minute. But that yeah. my actual note for this scene is, oh, my God, like, it's so insane. This line, Merlin, Segan is immortal and you are not. I, right. I just it's so painful now. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just so freaking I I'm I'm formulating a theory for this episode which will I will get to later. Oh, um, I think I know what it's going to be and I love it. Already. I I um I forgot that it was Gaius who convinces Merlin to go back to the dragon. Who did you think it was? I just thought Merlin decided on his own oh, no, to go Gaius back is... to the dragon and this honestly I can accept as to why Merlin goes back to him because Merlin by himself had not considered going back to the dragon. He was against it, but Gaius is like, he's the only one who can help you figure this out. And so Merlin reluctantly goes back down to the dragon, which has redeemed Merlin. <laughs> yeah. 
and the writers sort of like in this little instance it has redeemed them that Merlin has sworn to never see the dragon again and then he goes back right the next episode but it was actually guys who told him to do it and we have a very important plot point here which is that you know and I always forget this it seems but of course Gaius Merlin was you know thought Gaius didn't know about the dragon and I think we as an audience forget that because Gaius admits here that he's known all along and it's kind of like a throwaway line yeah. almost but this is like they're a big yeah. reveal that Gaius knew all along what he was up to um, yeah yeah so that's really cool yeah. Spe- uh, speaking of the dragon the one with the dragon mandatory of course now see I called it I called it the one with the basement lizard because I never call him dragon fair enough but yeah there is a beautiful cut though here which is uh the knights just before because it's like a tiny bit with some knights stuff and uh Arthur yells charge and they start running and then it cuts to Merlin running down the stairs and just there's something yeah. about that that is so satisfying to me um, yeah. so first of all how can the dragon seriously be offended by Merlin like and his hashtag loyalties when the dragon literally lied to him like I get that he's got his own agenda but how can he sit there and actually like assign blame for the fact that Merlin hasn't spoken to him in all this time because he literally was the one that lied to him. <laughs> How? Select selective memory. Of course, of course. Um, the obviously, you know, we have this bargain being made. I really like this because even though they didn't stick to the whole, oh, Merlin will have to be without the dragon in season three thing that we thought they were going to do. The fact that in this season they're already almost upping the stakes, in my opinion, by saying, okay, no, my advice isn't free anymore. You want to do this you gotta let me out one day and there's now a ticking time bomb basically as to when that's gonna happen which i think was such a smart move on their part and obviously then it happens in the finale very very clever it gives you like this amazing through line through the season which kind of holds everything together um yeah but colin's laugh oh my god like when he says one day you must free me and he just kind of (sighs) goes like looks to the side and he's just like fuck that (laughs) and then like his little if i release you what will you do like he already is just like the wheels are turning and then there's a little moment when he says i promise and he kind of blinks and like shakes his head as to be like that was stupid but i also didn't have a choice and it's just colin is just we are not worthy (laughs) we are not he's upped his game with his interactions with the dragon in this season so much and we'll i'll discuss that when we get to the witch finder because oh my god (laughs) but yeah i love him in this scene i think he's fantastic and the dragon gives him the spell and you know sorry i i would like to say he gives him the spell by breathing on him it is magic breath please please let us know the magic breath (laughs) i mean i suppose it makes sense because you know uh, a sword forged in a dragon's breath and all of that and so his his breath already was magic but still magic breath i hope he didn't eat any garlic um the one i have after this is the one with the battle scenes part two and uh Arthur yelling to his knights, save yourselves, that's an order. And the fact that he's using his position of power to save their lives is just really, like, I just love that. And the fact that they're so loyal to Arthur that they, even though they don't want to, they do. And they even bar the door to make sure that they are safe because Arthur told them to. And then Uther's reaction 
when he sees Uther's the reaction. Uther's, I mean, we're, we're such he, Uther stuff. Yes. <laughs> it's just, Uther is just, I had, that's my first note. Uther's showing how much he loves Arthur because he actually fights like two or three men holding him back because he wants to go out there and save his son. Ugh. Oh, my heart. <laughs> but yeah, Uther is just being like, concerned dad tm and he's like no it's just so oh no i love him um which then leads us into like very seamlessly leads us into the next sequence which takes place outside and i've just called it the one with the fog because it's very Mm -hmm. foggy um (laughs) 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 you know it's just i have that in a in a later scene oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's uh Um, yeah so arthur gets knocked out and Merlin coming out, like, like walking through the fog. Like, there's a scene, like, there's a shot later on where he's in the fog, which is, like, even better, but I want to really take my time to just appreciate that one. But this one, he's just, like, in the fog, and he looks awesome, this, like, silhouette. And it looks really cool. Now, this sequence, oh, my goodness. I mean, the Merlin fan in me is just, like, dying with happiness because Segan baiting him to tr- to join him. Okay. Yes. Listen, I, I want to get this out yes. because Segan is trying to seduce Merlin. He's not just baiting him. He's trying to seduce Merlin. And he's good at it. He's saying exactly the right things at first. He's yes. saying, like, Arthur would know you for who you are and all of these things. And then he makes the mistake <laughs> and says that Arthur would be a slave to Merlin. That Arthur would tremble at Merlin's feet. And Merlin is like that. You can see it in Colin's expression. Oh my god! <laughs> because you're watching Colin while while Cedric is all of this. Uh, Segan is saying all of this. You're watching. You're watching Merlin. And Merlin's expression. You can see in his eye. Can it's see in his face. Like as long as as long as Segan is saying Arthur would know you for who you are. You see the longing in his eyes because this is we had this theme in this very episode. In this episode. And then and then he says Arthur would tremble at your feed and merlin shuts down it's like no this is not what i want this is merlin has reached a point where he's like i want arthur to know me for who i am but i do not want arthur to fear me and this is so good this is honestly this is the best scene in the entire episode it's one of the best that they've ever written in my opinion it really is it is it is excellent it is such a good scene honestly and so in keeping with his character i mean i just wanted to dissect just a just a few lines of dialogue here because it it means so much to me it's just so segan starts by saying um it must be uh so hard to be so put upon when all the while you have such power which yes. is which is such a running theme you know and but it's these two lines that he says he does not deserve your loyalty and he says that's not true and he says he cast you aside without a moment's thought and merlin has tears in his eyes and he shakes his head and he says that doesn't matter and already yeah. at this point that's, in season that... two, he's so loyal to him. And I think I yeah. saw a post on Tumblr, and I'm sorry again, I, I I don't know who did it, but that they put, Arthur is so fucking lucky that Merlin loves him so much because if he had any like spark of darkness in him, he could destroy everything arthur loves with like the snap of his fingers and it's only his love and devotion that is actually like keeping 
Arthur alive, really, because if he because if he was seduced by power or anything, that would be it. But because it's only about Arthur, like he's safe forever, basically, <laughs> you know, and it's just like that is so interesting. And yeah, you're absolutely right. You can see how much he's longing for that, you know, that reality that Segan is painting for him. It's just so, like, you know, geniusly done. I mean, this dialogue is just absolutely incredible. And yeah, we give the writers a lot of shit, but in this episode, yeah, I mean, just like you said, oh, Momo, yeah. they tied it into the scene perfectly. I just want Arthur yeah. to trust me and to know me for who I really am. And it's, and I, and I put it, and he, almost had him <laughs> seriously he did he almost had him yeah he could have he was so like that's what i'm saying he's he's so good at first at seducing money like even with what you said like it must be so hard to to have all this power and to never be recognized and to be so put upon and then arthur would cast you aside without the second thought like he was saying all the right things that all resonated with merlin because he He's drawing from Cedric's memories and he's yep. he's observed this. He's just drawn the entirely wrong conclusion exactly. from it. And like and then it's just like you know, he's like, That's the way it has to be and then he just gets carried away. He says, Does it? Arthur will tremble at your voice. He will kneel at your feet. Your feet and yeah. he just looks at him through the and he's just I don't want that. And this is what yeah. I love about this character is that, you know, people I think, you know, it's okay for Merlin to want to be subservient. You know, I think that is such an important part of his character that he is a giver. Like he really is. Yeah. And he has all this power, but it's not it's, what matters in it's not in even relationship. It's not even so much about Merlin wanting to serve Arthur. It's much more about Merlin not wanting Arthur to be afraid of him. Oh, for sure. Like, that's with the whole he would tremble at your voice. This is Merlin doesn't want Arthur to be afraid of him. And then, yeah, he also doesn't want Arthur to kneel at his at his feet necessarily because Merlin, Merlin knows that this is, that this would not be the Arthur he knows and that he expects Arthur to become. Like, because he, he wants Arthur to be king and to to rule and Merlin wants to be in the background he just also wants to be recognized for what he does in the background exactly and it's it's so I like I literally I'm just getting so excited talking about this scene also as that shift happens in his eyes there's a there's a score in the background that is like a is like a darker version of the theme tune and it's, which is obviously Merlin's theme, uh, which I think is called the call of destiny or something like that. So there's something really like beautiful about like a kind of like a more twisted version of the Merlin theme running in the background of Merlin attempting to being seduced into power. And it's just everything about this is so beautifully composed. And like I said, a really wonderful way, in my opinion, to begin the season with, you know, his loyalties being you know kind of tested even if it's for a second you know um and it shows that he he actually has weaknesses like his weakness is the fact you know his weakness is arthur both in wanting to protect him and also in the fact that he's treated so poorly that if segan had said the right things he might have gone to him 
you know, mm. it's 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 kind of scary, really. <laughs> um, and then Segan releases his soul into the ether, and poor Cedric is that's it, no more and no more Mackenzie Crook, no more Mackenzie Crook, which is very sad for me because I love him. Um, and I assume you have something to say about the soul entering Merlin's body. Uh, this is probably where your your theory comes in, isn't it? Yes. Go so. For it. I mean, half of it is a crack theory and the other half is sort of um, serious. But what if after Segan entered Cedric's body, he has, and then he has left him, he has left a, a trace of himself in Cedric and this has made him immortal. So now he can go on to be Rekety a thousand years later. But also, once he has entered Merlin mm-hmm. and then exited him again because Merlin Merlin did some magic, Merlin is now immortal because Segan was immortal. Oh my god. And there is a trace of Segan's soul left in Merlin. Oh my god. Like, it's it's like I'm, I'm shaking. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I just... This is how Merlin actually became immortal. Like, imagine... I mean, I'm sure that's not what the writers actually... Wanted they didn't to do know there, at this but, point, you know, but like, this is this shall be my head kind of now. <laughs> I feel like what's really for you know, just not to get like kind of too too digressive, but what pisses me off about this show sometimes is that there are so many instances in which Merlin should have died, and the writers wrote it off as he didn't die because he had magic. I mean, that's what I assume we're supposed to believe. I mean, literally every you know, Cedric died when. Segan left him and Merlin somehow is still alive. When the Duraka attacked him, he's somehow still alive. Every other person died. So for me, it's like if they already ended up writing Immortal Merlin anyway, it's frustrating to me that that wasn't something that they decided earlier. So it could have been in canon, in text. Because really, it's just like, okay, so what can't he survive then because of his magic TM, not because he's actually immortal? It's so annoying. It really is. But, you know, whatever. He is in yeah. canon, he's immortal, and we can, I guess, you know, make yeah. make our own assumptions for that. But yeah. um I mean there's also what I never really noticed in this in this scene after Merlin falls to the ground, he opens his eyes and his eyes are actually black. They're black. Like yeah, I didn't I didn't really I, either I forgot or I never really noticed, but this would mean that the soul took hold for at least a moment inside him, which would just further my theory that you know it it possessed Merlin enough to leave this trace inside of him but then again this would also mean that Cedric um my I well either Cedric died because of overload of overload because he didn't have magic he wasn't a powerful sorcerer in his own rights but then again I mean we don't have absolute evidence that Cedric is dead I mean he falls to the ground but that doesn't necessarily mean he's dead. So, you know, that's like... I think you're grasping like, a bit there, but I see I'm, what you I'm just, I'm just saying there is no... No one said, oh, Cedric, he died. You know, he had he had his just revenge because he died. Because he, he tried to steal some things and so therefore he should die. Oh God. He did not ask to be possessed. He was just... He just wanted some gold. <laughs> but you could also say that Cedric died 
and he wasn't a powerful sorcerer so that's why he died he just yeah. he couldn't take he couldn't it. bear it he couldn't take it but merlin he is a powerful sorcerer and that's why he didn't die when segan left him again even though segan had shortly overtaken his body for at least a couple of seconds i have a couple of shallow notes for this scene Mm-hmm. I think it's not going to be a surprise to anyone, the first one, but when the soul is entering M- Merlin's body, there's just a lot of neck um, in the shot, which makes me very interested in the shot. Just <laughs> on and a, In the shot. Just, yeah, on, sure. uh, just, I mean... I mean, and he's not wearing a scarf, which I, I mean, I mean, we can count that as a costume note, I think, you know? Like how to capture your audience 101 never make Colin wear anything around his just neck. Just really really don't. <laughs> it's like it I no cuz then I can't focus on like the scene, you know? So he should probably occasionally, but this episode is a big treat for me. Then another kind of sh- like Merlin coming out of the shadows. I have like I have this I have the scene titled The One with Merlin Lurking Near the Smoke Machine. Oh my god. Just I just really like Banff Merlin, okay? <laughs> like, but him coming out of the shadows like that with the with his head down and just the smoke, like, oh my god. I'm just, like, fangirling over in the corner. I can't. I absolutely can't. This is, like, another tally to my Banff Merlin chart. I'm just, like... <laughs> and then him tricking Gaius is just, like, why? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't get it, but... I, I don't guess... get it. But I will say that the smile that follows is actually a really cute smile. I'm not really into Colin. Everyone knows this. Especially in in season two because he looks much too twinky for me. But this is actually a very cute smile. (laughs) I know he looks just about twinky enough for you, but he does not. Colin for me in this season is very distracting. Like, I can't quite concentrate on anything because he just is... He's so pretty. <laughs> so I think I've called this one the one with Uther being Uther. <laughs> uh, because, right, okay, okay, hang on, right. I was wrong about the Arwen scene earlier. This scene is the most pointless scene in Merlin. Because let's just analyze the dialogue here. He says, I was right, Gaius. I've been complacent. A, when have you ever been complacent about sorcery first of all like this is literally your life's mission we've never seen him slack off about this kind of thing ever and like the fact that he's like we must now renew our efforts to make sure that sorcery is eradicated like what have you been doing up until this point (laughs) like that is like this show starts with you executing someone i'm so confused by this scene yeah it's just to remind the audience what Uther's True. purpose is. There's another really cool, by cool I mean funny, uh, quote from Uther where he says, "We must learn our lessons from these terrible events." As if Gaius hadn't been the one cautioning him all this time. Like every time, Gaius is like, "Husband, darling, baby, you shouldn't be doing this. It will bring ruin to the country." And Uther's like, "I'm gonna do it anyway." <laughs> And then, oh, Gaius, who, who would have thought that doing this would result in this terrible event? And Gaius is like, like, 
eyebrow. Pointing to himself. He's like, who's got two thumbs in you all along? This guy. I, they remind me a bit in these kind of moments of Timon and Pumbaa, where he's like, hey, so what if he's on our side? And then Timon's like, that is the stupidest. Hang on. What if he's on our <laughs> side? <laughs> he's like, exactly the same. <laughs> Seriously. I don't know. What I what I do like about this scene is that it is you know, there's sunshine, it is very light and bright and, and the sunshine is streaming in through the windows into the throne room and it's a nice contrast to the majority of the episode actually and a nice visual representation of of the evil times are over even though i don't necessarily subscribe to the theory of dark means evil and light means good but in the th like since this is already established within this episode like everything was happening a lot of things were happening at night you know and a lot of bad things were happening at night in this episode like morgana's nightmares and the tomb being found and then Cedric stealing stuff from it and this final showdown was also happening at night and now it is a new morning and everything is well again in the state of Camelot and I find this a nice visual representation of that. It is really nice and like I will say what I what I wish they had done with this scene is you know Uther is basically saying, like, I need to reinvigorate my fight against magic. And if they had, like, that would have been a really good opportunity, in my opinion, to take season two to a new level. And they're always wanting to up the stakes, like, with like with this kind of thing. How about season two having this through line of Uther actively hunting witches? Like, like we have a scene with uh, like we, we have a witch finder episode but that's it and like then what if morgana's magic could have like kind of manifested itself through that fear you know and then her being in actual danger from being discovered under uther's very nose and then something about that could have driven her to be like like just with that one line i was like the possibilities are like bouncing all around my head but they didn't actually like we must renew our efforts okay like literally how name, <laughs> just... name one episode in which you did that except the witch finder it's just and he only did he only called in the witch finder because someone had seen the the smoke horrors that merlin inadvisedly did <laughs> So Uther wasn't even like if Uther had called in the Witchfinder of his own volition and was like, uh, you, guys, remember how I said we need to invigorate our fight against magic? Well, I've called in, you know, uh, the the Witchfinder. Exactly. Like that would have made more sense to me. But, you know, like now I'm pining for the season two that we could have had, like with this information. But, you know. Yeah. And then we have the final scene, which is the one with the bag in the face. <laughs> Now, okay, right. A, Arthur is so pouty. B, Arthur comes down, like, I can name probably, like, like, like count on one hand the amount of time, like, Arthur has come down to Merlin's chambers, like, at the end of the episode, like, for any reason, like, you know, he, he like, he technically came down to be like, hey, look, I was wrong, which is, like, kind of a big deal for him, to be honest. Like, you know, it's not, 
as sincere as Poison Chalice, maybe, but it's still it's still a big deal in my opinion. And he still has to do it in his Arthur way, where he's like, you know, I've not forgotten about your lazy, insolent ways. <laughs> um, but you know, he says, you know, your accusations against Cedric were right, and I, it's like Merlin just can't help himself. <laughs> Like, these two are as bad as one another sometimes because he's like, oh, so are you admitting that I was right? And Arthur's just like... <laughs> he's just like, he can't deal with it. Um, and I think what makes me laugh about this scene is that I don't know if he was always planning on doing it like this, but the fact that he didn't just come down to tell Merlin that he's got his job back. Oh, no, no, no. Arthur is so extra that he brought a bag of armour down to his chambers from wherever the hell it's being kept just so he could dump it in front of Merlin as a visual representation of the fact that he now has his job back. And if that isn't dramatic, I don't know what is. The only the only way I can accept this scene the way it is and be okay with it is if I apply my headcanon of they had a fight about Merlin not wanting to work for Arthur before the episode because then this would track as Arthur comes down to see Merlin he does apologize in his Arthur roundabout way he and then he brings Merlin some work and is like if you want to keep this job you can you can keep it and I brought you like this is the only way I can accept it if like Arthur is like I'm sorry here is the work if you still want it and Merlin sort of accepting it because otherwise this is just like Arthur has learned nothing <laughs> thanks I hate it <laughs> I don't know like I don't I don't hate it it's fine like I hate might be a strong word but it's just like I will say that the gesture of Arthur coming down to see Merlin and actually apologizing it's quite a big step for him, to be honest. But the thing is, it shouldn't be. Of course. Not not with the way Arthur has been progressed in the first season. But then again, the entire, like, Arthur in this entire episode was super out of character. And the only way it makes sense is if he and Merlin had a big fight before the episode started. Do you think that that could have actually maybe been a cut scene? It could be. Uh, it would work. It would totally work. Because in the opening scene when Merlin is called to Arthur's bedroom, Merlin is like, but they work under your father's orders. And then Arthur is like, yeah, and you work under mine. And then Merlin could use that as a jumping off point later on to be like, well, just because I work for you doesn't mean I get to overrule what the king says. Yeah, or something and, like that. And you don't, you don't get to tell me, like... It's hard for me to follow orders that are contradictory to what your father has ordered because he actually ranks higher than you. And actually, since we're speaking of it, I didn't want to work for this for you or the family anyway. Please leave me out of your feuds. You know, that could have worked. But I honestly, I don't think the writers. I just wish that could have been the case because then I could have had like the like fighting and then the angst and the jealousy and then the makeup that I wanted <laughs> like that would have been yeah. just incredible but I don't like yeah. I don't hate it like I said there are hills I'm willing to die on in this fandom and 
and the curse of Cornelius again one isn't of one of yeah, them. Like, like fair. you know, Arthur throwing goblets at Merlin's head—that's one of them. Arthur deciding yeah. to pour a bucket of water on Merlin's head and then bang it just to make a point—that's one of them. This, this isn't one of them. This is just Arthur yeah. being Arthur, in my opinion. And like I said, Merlin doesn't seem overly concerned about it, and they are much nicer to each other from this point onwards. So, so you know. <laughs> Yes, so our last category for this would be favorite shot, which we vow to implement from now on. Yes, uh, it was a, a toss-up for me, and I really, really promised myself I would only choose one. So okay. my honorable mention, which is not going to be my favorite, but it is the one of Merlin sitting in his room with the, with the shit on his face. It's just so iconic. To the left of frame, beautiful. But the favorite one, yeah, without a doubt, it has to be Merlin standing in the shadows after the soul has like possibly taken over his body. It's gloomy, it's bamf, it's dramatic, everything I love. <laughs> it's my favorite. I have, I had a similar struggle where I had to pick between two and I will mention both. And it's funny they're both related to each other, like similar like yours, because both of yours contain Merlin and both of mine also contain the same thing, but they are so very different from what you picked. <laughs> because the honorable mention would be when, after Cedric has picked up the heart jewel in the tomb and it has already like released a soul and it has gone into him, and then he drops the the empty crystal and the way the the like it's just this shot of the empty crystal falling down into the sand and then lying there glinting in the firelight just to show it is now completely empty and it's just i really like that but this is my honorable mention my actual mention is towards the end where the heart jewel is back in its casing on the sarcophagus and they are slowly closing the hole in the wall and you just see the the firelight shining in through this closing hole in the wall and barely illuminating the the glowing heart inside yeah that's a nice one i it's, like that one too it's a very nice shot yeah so i honestly like i said really like this episode despite its flaws i find it very watchable it's very funny to me i think it's a pretty solid opener for a season um it's probably one of my favorite openers just because it is so light-hearted and i'm not saying that like i hate dramatic openers but you know i feel like from this point onwards we have the two-parters like every season now going forward so it's not really the same dynamic and i do find it refreshing to open a season on something that's just introducing us to things in a nice easy way it's not throwing me into the drama and the killing and all that kind of stuff it's just there's some action there's a lot of humor and there's just a lot of fun like a uh, character stuff i think it's i think it's pretty solid despite the things that we wish were different <laughs> yes cool it's, could that be it <laughs> yeah i believe so I believe so. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed our thoughts on the Curse of Cornelius Segan. It's not an episode I see talked about a huge amount in fandom. So I would really appreciate it if you guys could tell us what you thought about it, whether you agreed with us, whether you didn't agree with us, and also what your opinion is on what the true thriller jacket is. Um, please leave your comments on all the channels that we mentioned before. And yeah, 
what have we got coming up next time, Momo? Next time we are going to talk about minor female and male characters in season one without the villains. The villains will get their own episodes, but we are going to just look at a couple of the minor female and male characters that we encountered in season one. Our theme music was composed by Sidesteppings exclusively for Melissa. Our news music comes from Manzardian on freesound.org. And the mana for our cover art is by Brolin's Keep and the actual cover is by me. And for anyone that cares, I'm on Instagram as Miss Snowfox as well as Miss Snowfox Cosplays. I'm on YouTube as Magical Unicorn 22 where you can find my fan vids. And I'm also on AO3 uh, as Miss Snowfox as well as Live Journal and things like that. I'm Momotastic on AO3 where I post fanfic and Momopods also on AO3 where I post podfic. And you can find me on Tumblr as Momotastic27. There you go. So, guys, until next time, I have been Miss Snowfox. And I have been Momotastic. Bye. Bye. Bye.